I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's pretty normal these days, isn't it, for people to kind of document their lives on social networks of various different kinds, Twittering and Facebooking. And you can get some pretty inane ones, like the student I was reading. He would tell you just about everything he did, just brush my teeth, just finished in the bathroom, just going downstairs, is it going to be cornflakes or is it going to be shredded wheat? And you kind of think, oh, for goodness sake. But then there's people that go to the other extreme, like a really good friend of ours, um, who I'm friends with in real life as well as on Facebook. Isn't it bizarre what friends you get? People who just contact you out of the blue, wanting to be your friend, and you think, who are you? Oh, I met you once, five people removed or whatever. But this is actually a real friend. I was a little bit surprised to see that she's documented over the last year her rather messy divorce, uh, the, the disputes that she's having over care and custody of her children, and the fact that her husband probably is a criminal of some kind, but we don't know quite what sort of criminal... I can't wait to find out next week when I'm sure she's going to tell us. And you just kind of think, it's just weird. Why do people do this? I mean, it's great to be able to connect with people and that kind of thing. But I don't think anybody's taken it quite so far as the journalist I read about at the end of last year. Um, he is a young American journalist, and uh, he decided, he's called David Weinberg. And what he decided to do was secretly tape all of the conversations in his life for three whole years. So he went with a wire everywhere, everywhere. And so it started off, he says the first one that he recorded, he went to a bar with a friend and somebody took out a gun and threatened his friend. And he said, that was a really exciting way to start. And then a couple of weeks later, he, he and his friends decided to turn up in an old college friend and um, to stay the night for a surprise. And it recorded the whole conversation about how she didn't appreciate the surprise. And actually, she rather, they left and never came back and how they had to actually sleep in the car park that night. It recorded absolutely everything. But it got me to thinking about... What about if it was possible in some way not just to record conversations or what you choose to edit and put out into the world for people to see, however bizarre or not? What about if every thought and every emotion, everything that ever went through your head was somehow recorded and could be broadcast to the whole world? I've got to say, the thought of that... I mean, just think about 2012, for example. What about if every thought, every conversation, every emotion, every feeling was recorded and then played back here on the screen? How would you feel about that? Well, for me, I'm just glad I've been forgiven. You know, I'm glad that Jesus loves me uh, because I I really wouldn't want that to happen. And obviously, if you're a Christian, that's, that's a good thing because Jesus really has paid the debt. If you're not a Christian, well, actually, guys, that's what's going to happen at the end of time when God opens the book. So just a little tip there. But what about if every conversation, every thought... You see, the thing is, words are powerful, aren't they? 
And we need to be careful about the words that we choose to live by because that's what our thoughts are in the end. And our emotions, they turn into actions. They come out, you see. And we need to be careful what thoughts we allow and therefore what actions that they lead to. And the Bible talks about uh, the need for us to renew our minds with the truth, not only to wipe the tapes of our past lives. I think we get that. We really do want the tapes wiped, don't we, of our past lives, even yesterday sometimes. We want our past lives wiped. But what about the re-recording of those tapes? Because that's what the Bible's talking about, not just the wiping of your tapes, but re-recording, the re-recording of those tapes. So replacing the negative with the positive for lies to be overwritten with truth, to start again, to start to think, feel, and live differently. That's what the gospel is about. That's what Jesus offers. And so this new year, I I just want to give you three powerful promises to live by, uh, to re-record the tapes with in our minds, because they're powerful, because these promises are underwritten by God himself. And there's just three really simple promises here. And they've actually mostly come out in the worship today, so isn't that encouraging? But the first one is, God is for you. God is for you. Secondly, God is with you. He's with you. God is on you. So there's three things, for you, with you, and on you. And you know, the new year is a time when we often resolve, don't we? I'm never going to overeat again. Good luck with that one, <laughs> or whatever your particular one is. And getting to grip, but getting to grips with these promises will give you a new year like you've never had, a year like you've never had before. If we can really get to grips with this, not just as individuals, but as a church, that God is for us, that he's with us, and that he's on us, it will change, it will revolutionize your life. And that's what I want to pray for you, pray for us as I share this message with you. Could you turn the volume down? It's just echoing and I'm feeling a bit like I'm in a toilet. So, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are with us. You've already shown us that this morning, this afternoon. You've just been with us. Your presence has just been so delicious. Lord, so just come on us even more. Would you come on us even more as we hear this message? Would you just speak to us? Lord, would you convince us of the fact that you are utterly for us, that you are completely head over heels in love with us today? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, look, first of all, God is for you. I I wonder if you really believe that. I wonder if you really know that God is for you. And there's this really famous verse, isn't there, in in Romans chapter 8. If you've got that, Romans chapter 8, and it's verse 31. It's the second half of the verse. It says this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? But my suspicion and my experience is that often when we read that verse or we remember it, we remember the if. If God is for us, and we forget who can be against us. It's the if that troubles us. And that's because so often when we read the Bible, we take verses out of context. And we don't, and we read that as a question rather than reading it as a conclusion. 
Because what Paul is doing is referring to everything that went before in Romans 8, which starts, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Everything that follows about the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that he has for us. Everything that follows, including verses 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And in verse 20. Eight, and we know that in all things God works for our good. And verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also gr- glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In view of all those things, if God is for us. He's already shown us that he's for us, he's utterly for us. He's made all the commitments that are necessary to show us that he's for us. For us, He's already justified us so that we can stand before him. The balance sheet is clear. In fact, we're in profit, as we were hearing prophetically earlier on. God is for us. And he's working for the good of us. I, do you know, I, I think that's amazing. Because if God's really on my side, I don't have a lot to worry about. I mean, think about how big God is. Think about how powerful God is. Do you know, if God says something, it has to happen. And he's for us. He's for me. Do you know, he doesn't just love me, he actually likes me. God is for us. So God isn't against us. God isn't standing over us with a big stick and a clipboard tutting and shaking his head, just waiting for us to mess up, ticking boxes in some interminable exam that he's expecting us to fail. God isn't like that. He's cheering us on. He's willing us on. He's providing all the resources of heaven for us. He's for us. And Paul pictures it it a bit later on. He pictures it as being like running on a track, an Olympian track. Now, I don't think I'd be great in the Olympics, but in this picture, I'm running on an Olympian track, and it says that all of heaven is cheering me on. That's the picture that Paul has, this great race. Everybody's cheering you. Go on, Rob, you can do it. Go on, Jubilee Church. Go for it. We're with you. We're rooting for you. We're believing for you. God's faithful. Go on. Do you know, even more so, it's not just all that have gone before us, all of heaven, it's what good, it's what good dads do. It's what good dads do. Last year, uh, my son competed in, in these football games. Now, I don't like football. I've got to admit, I really had to die to something to go to these football games. But it started to get exciting because their team started winning all their matches. And before you knew it, they were in the FA Cup of the West Midlands. My son's school. And I was starting to get excited. But of course, all the people from Solly Hull who were standing watching these matches would just do these little polite claps. Well done, son, like this kind of thing. I couldn't stand it anymore because I'm a dad and I want my kid to score a goal. I want him to do well. So I started cheering. I started saying, come on, Sam. Come on, you can do it. Get that ball in. You can do it. Come on, team. And I started rousing all the other parents. I said, come on, let's cheer them up. Let's cheer them on like this. And they said, oh, we like this. And they all started cheering them. And blow me, they went and won the FA Cup. So praise God for that. (laughs) But it's what dads do. It's what dads do, and you've got a heavenly dad, and he's cheering you on, and he's for you. 
Praise God. I think that's good. See, God is for us, and we know that because he's removed all that is against us. He's removed all that's against us. Our sin. Do you know, one of my favorite verses about my sin is in Colossians chapter 2. Let me read it to you. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. It says this. He forgave us all our sins. That's past, present and future. All our sins forgiven, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. I love that. Jesus has dealt with that which is against us, that which constantly tripped us up, that which we constantly failed in. He nailed it to the cross in Jesus Nailed it there for eternity. That's not going to stand against you anymore. God's for you. If God's for you, who can be against you? Secondly, he's dealt with our sinful nature. Really? Yeah, he's dealt with my sinful nature. He's dealt with my sinful nature. This sinful nature which constantly causes me to sin. The Bible says he's dealt with our sinful nature. Paul tells us this in Romans 6, 6, where he says that we were crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that our sinful nature doesn't have power over us anymore. And that's why we need to take up our cross daily. I'm not into, I'm not preaching sinless perfection here, but I'm talking about the perfection of what God has done. That he has given us the potential, the possibility to overcome sin in the flesh. Just like Jesus did for us. That we can also live in victory. He's dealt with our sinful nature. He's dealt with Satan. Going back to Colossians 2.15. Verse 15, he says that he forgave us all our sins, cancelled the written code, the regulations that was against us. Verse 15, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross, he triumphed over all powers and principalities. He triumphed, he was victorious. God is for us and he's victorious. He's the winner. We know how it turns out. The Bible's written right to the end. He wins. We win. God is for us. He's dealt with other people that oppose us. Unfortunately, he hasn't removed those people yet. That was meant to be a joke. but I thought that might tickle your fancy because we sometimes think like the only way that we can get on with some people is if God removed them. (laughs) Somehow. But Jesus tells us how to deal with them. He tells us that we need to forgive people. And he tells us that we need to pray for them. And he tells us that we need to put them in God's hands when we're abused and when we're mistreated and allow him to judge. He's dealt with all that opposed us. And there he is. He's cheering us on from heaven. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, Jesus wants us to win. Jesus wants you to win. He's removed the barriers. He wants you to succeed as a Christian. He wants you to realize all the benefits of what it means to be in Christ. He does. 
Did you know that? Put your hand up if you knew that. That Jesus actually wants you to win. What about when we sin? When we sin. When we sin. Does anybody here not sin ever? My daughter, obviously. Yeah, thank you, Becky. (laughs) Well, when we sin, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody in heaven right next to the Father speaking up on our behalf. We've got a lawyer, the best, speaking up for us in heaven. And he'll say this, he'll say, yeah, yeah, he did do that. You're absolutely right. Yes, the judgment is right. But he's confessed. He's agreed that it was wrong. And my blood takes account of that on the cross. My blood deals with that. We've got an advocate in heaven speaking on our behalf. Use him. Use him. You've got a lawyer on call, free of charge, in eternity, speaking on your behalf. And when we sin, listen, when we sin, God does not distance himself from us. God does not withdraw himself for us. He waits. He watches He loves, but in his heart, you know, he is longing. He's just longing for us to return. He's longing for us to confess it and have done with it. God is longing for us to repent and to avail ourselves of the considerable resources of the cleansing of his blood. We feel that withdrawal, don't we? We feel there's a slight disapproval. It's not. He's waiting. He's watching. And he's still loving. When we sin, Jesus tells us, God is like the father in the story of the prodigal son. You know, he's waiting out front for us to return. That's what he's like. He's waiting. He's looking out there. Is he coming back yet? I know he's sinned, but is he coming back yet? And he's waiting. It's like the first sign of you looking in his direction. He's already running. He's running down. He's running towards you. That's the prodigal son's story. He sees him in the distance and he's running. He's pulling up his his robes, which is holy, high, highly indecent, apparently in the Middle East, for an old man to run and to roll up his trousers like that. But he runs. He runs and he throws his arm, arms around his son and he stinks. He's been living with pigs. He's filthy. And yet he throws his arms around him. It's even as he's running, he's thinking, get ready for the party. He's on his way back. Get ready, heaven. We're going to rejoice tonight. He's on his way back. He's for you. He's running towards you just the moment you look. Just the moment you say, God, I've messed up. He's there. He's got his arms around you. And he's putting a new robe on you. My son's home. Let's have a party. There really is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But how our hearts... How our hearts so often condemn us. But I discovered a verse that deals with that. It's in John chapter 3, verses 20 to 23. 
how our hearts condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. Isn't that good news? How our hearts condemn us. Do you feel the, the weight of that? How our hearts condemn us. But God is greater than our hearts. It's obvious. He's greater than our hearts. And it says he knows everything. He knows everything. Dear friends, the apostle goes on, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. God is for you. Do you need to confess something today? Do you need to repent of something today? I want to urge you to do it. But don't make a meal of it. Just do it. And within moments, he'll come running to you and he'll throw his arms around you and you'll be back, welcomed by God's open arms. Are you getting this? I'm sorry, I'm a bit emotional actually, preaching this. It's really moved me, this story, this... God is for us. I can't get over that. It's impacted me. So I'm feeling a little bit upset. Not upset, but you know, it's really touched me. The second thing is that God is with us. God is with us. And you know, the Bible is so rich with promises about God's presence being with us for the whole of eternity. I didn't know where to stop. So I've just picked a few verses out for you. First of all, he never leaves us. That's the promise. He never leaves us. That's Hebrews 13.5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's God's promise to us. I won't leave you. He's always with us. And surely, it says in Matthew 28, I am with you always. This is Jesus making this promise. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. I was at a funeral yesterday. Arnold Bell, who I've known for so many years, and he was such a man of God. I came away overwhelmed, actually, by his life story, stuff I didn't know about, because he was such a humble man. But what really impacted me is when one of the, one of the speakers shared about his last moments, the last text he had, was, God is about a great thing. I'm sure something amazing is about to happen. He's ever so close to me. And then he died. Even to the end of the age, God is with us. And his name, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. The whole Christmas story that we've been looking at recently is about God coming as a man with that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, you can't really get any clearer than that. Emmanuel's with me. Well, he is because that's his name. He's God with me. He's with us. That's his name. And we can't be separated from him. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 8, verse 39. Paul says that he's convinced that there is nothing, and there's a great long list of things that we sometimes think could separate us. Read it later. There's a great long list, and he says that nothing can separate us from this God of love. Nothing. And also we can never be snatched away from him. John chapter 10, verse 28, says this. Jesus tells us that he's given us life so that we will never perish 
and so that no one will be able to snatch us from his hand. God is for us. God is with us in all our circumstances, in all our difficulties. God is with us. God's with you. He's with you also in all the celebrations. He likes the parties as well. He rejoices when you rejoice. He weeps when you weep. God is with us. He's with us through the good and the bad, through the thick and the thin, because we've got this irrefutable promise, this assurance throughout the whole Bible that God is with us. God is with us. Which means that throughout our lives, his presence must be discoverable, his influence traceable, and his will discernible. Do you believe that? God is discoverable. He's touchable. Because this is what the Bible tells us, that even though we don't always feel his presence, and you know, we can be such feeling junkies, can't we? It's a medical term. Um, We can be feelings junkies, that if we don't feel it, then it can't be true. Anybody else get like that sometimes? If I don't feel it, I don't feel like it, I can't do it. And I acknowledge that sometimes there is a need for us to wait for God, for his presence. It's not always instant service. God doesn't always come when we tell him to, if you know what I mean. Um, I acknowledge that sometimes we have to ask for it. We have to ask God, I need to know your presence right now. We have to actually ask for it because it's a relationship. There's a relationship involved. And sometimes we have to chase. We have to chase for it. We have to desire God again. We have to go after him again. And and there are these kind of rare times where God seems to hide himself from us. And and you find that he kind of draws you after him again. You've got to go looking for him. It's like he's playing hide and seek. Where is he? Where's God? Believe me, this is true. It's like that sometimes. And he'll just draw you after him and you end up spending half a day praying because you haven't, there's, you've not quite touched yet. And you find that you've just spent this time desiring God, drawing after him, running after him, chasing after him. He draws you like that. But very often, We don't feel his presence because we've not stood on the word of God and taken it by faith. And very practically, I will pray sometimes, Lord, I don't feel your presence right now, but I know that you're here. So by faith, I come into your presence. And within moments, usually, the presence of God is there. And so I want to encourage you, God is with you, he's touchable, you can reach out to him. Even when we don't always see his presence. You know, sometimes it's hard to trace God's influence in our lives. We say, where were you in that God? Why didn't you act? What were you doing? Were you busy? (laughs) Where were you? And this can cause all kinds of heartache and even make us disillusioned. And 
you know, sometimes it can be helpful to revisit some of those times and just ask that question. Say, God, well, you know, when that happened, where were you? And I've done this with people and seen real healing for some, but it can also lead to confusion for others. It's a, one of those questions that's sometimes difficult to handle, difficult to understand, because we won't know everything until we get to heaven. A lady came to see me, um, not here, who'd been abused, and she was asking this question. And some well-meaning pastor had encouraged her to, by faith, say that Jesus was there and he saw it all and some kind of reinvention of it. And it just led her into complete despair. I didn't really know what to say to her other than sorry that that had been done to her and that that had been unhelpful. But we went through the verses and Jesus was, is with you. He does love you. We don't always understand these things. And then we prayed again together. And as we were praying, this lady had a vision. And she saw Jesus there. And when she looked at his face, he was crying. And he was reaching out to her. And he was angry. But these can be really hard things. And I don't think there are any clear answers to some of those kinds of questions. But what I do know is that the Bible says that Jesus has not left us even for a breath. Not even for a moment. So by faith we can say, Lord, I don't understand all of this, but I know that you're with me and that you'll never leave me. Sometimes that's as far as we can get. And God is with us even when we don't know his presence. You know, sometimes it can be so hard to know where he's going. So hard to know, where are you leading me? Um, and we can go through periods, can't we, of incredible uncertainty and questions in our lives about calling or direction. I'm sometimes so jealous of the people of Israel. You know, they had a, it says that they had a pillar of fire by night and they had a cloud to follow in the day. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you had one of those? Oh, that's where you're going, God. It's all right. I know what I'm off to now. The fire's just come out. <laughs> it's getting a bit dark, but the fire's started. We're all right. James talks about those that lack wisdom that we can ask of God to, who give to all liberally and without reproach. And uh, we haven't got time to go into this, but just a little tip that so many people have prayed that prayer and then waited for a thunderbolt from heaven. And actually what we need to do is say, well, Lord, I've asked for faith. You've said that you'll give to all liberally without reproach. So, Lord, I'm going to take that by faith and I'm going to take a step. Don't get, don't get, what's the word, uh, when you can't take a step forward. Don't get into that place, I can't take a step forward. Take a step and let God confirm your step. Just take the next step. I've talked a lot there about taking by faith. I just want to say something about that. 
Because the problem is never our faith. The problem is never our faith. Jesus says that we only need faith the size of a mustard seed to perform the most incredible miracles. Faith isn't the problem. It's never our faith. It's actually unbelief that's the problem. Unbelief has got this terrible power to crush the life out of any faith that we might have. I recently heard Reinhard Bonnke speak, who, if you don't know him, I mean, he's just the most incredible man of faith. He's seen millions of people saved, literally, millions of miracles. And he said this amazing thing about faith. He said, I never pray that prayer that says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Who's, who's prayed? I prayed that prayer. Yeah. Lord, I believe. It sounds so spiritual, so humble. He says, I never pray that. And I wish I could do his accent, but I can't. But he says, I say, I pray. He says, I believe, Lord, kill my unbelief. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, kill my unbelief. I don't want it swamping my faith. I believe kill any unbelief. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer this year. I believe you, Lord. Kill any unbelief that's in me. The word of God is certain. God is with us. This year, I want you to consciously take his presence into the whole of your life. Talk to him. Wait for him. Listen to him. Practice his presence. Give space for it. Give time to it. Don't let unbelief swamp your faith and squeeze the life out of your relationship with God. Kill it. Take it to the cross. And thirdly, God is with us. And this is a very brief point. God is with us. See, God has anointed us. He's on us. And this leads me to one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, which is Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 20. And I'm just going to read that to you first. It's very well known. But it says this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Can you imagine being there? What would their faces have looked like? Today, this is fulfilled. And because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did at that, at that time, he, all believers now have this anointing. It was made available following the resurrection on the day of Pentecost when it tells us that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was blown out of heaven in a violent wind and tongues of fire came and rested on that first church. So different, of course, from when Jesus was, when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus in the form of a dove. I often wonder about that. A dove for Jesus, a violent wind and fire for us. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus was just perfect. The Holy Spirit came on him. But this means that each one of us have access to the same power that lived in Jesus. The same power for service and the same power to live out of our Christian lives for eternity. All we have to do is ask for it and then step into it. You know, when I prayed for that girl at the pub last week, I didn't feel very spiritual 
I really didn't. I was there for a meal. And then somebody wants prayer for healing. I know it's a Sunday, but really. (laughs) But I just put my finger on it, and the power of God came so quickly, it shocked her. It shocked me. (laughs) We have an anointing. John tells us that. We have an anointing. Each one of us do. And of course, this anointing that Jesus described to set people free, to preach, to heal, to restore, is a kind of general anointing, if you like. I'm trying to make a difference here. A general anointing that's available to the whole body of Christ. Potentially, the whole body of Christ has that anointing, has availability for it. But I also believe, of course, as you know, that a jubilee here, that we have a specific calling to that anointing as well. A calling for us to live out these things. And God is on us, I believe. Not just the whole church, he is. It's his church, I'm so glad about that with some of the things you hear. So glad he's in charge, not me. But he's on us as a church. His anointing, his presence is on us. And I believe that people will be drawn to Jubilee to serve and to be served by this anointing. We, we have. This is already happening. Some will come as co-workers to work with us and help us, but many will come for our help. We're already seeing that. But God is on us. But God is also on you as an individual. God is on you. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, then you have an anointing of power for service to live the Christian life as well. Of course, there are different kinds of anointing for different people, like there are different gifts. We all have our own measure of faith. And as we've been talking about in our series on spiritual gifts, and I'm going to come back to that next week to finish that off, God has given us different measures of faith. And Vicky had a a prophetic word during the worship today, and she said that it was like there was a tree here laden with fruit and many different kinds of fruit, and God was saying, you can pick, take, doesn't always have to be a lemon. It could be an apple or a banana. It's just such a variety in God, such a, a giftedness of the people of God. And I want to encourage you to, to live under the anointing of the Holy Spirit for your life and to step out in faith with what he's called you and gifted you to do this year. So I said John 2.20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing. So today, really, I just wanted to encourage you. I just felt like there was a prophetic emphasis from God to encourage you as a church and as individuals. And I want to encourage you to get hold of these powerful truths. God is for you. God is with you and he's on you. Say this, God is for me. Let's say it together. God is for me. God is with me. God is on me. I want to encourage you to step into these things, to re-record those tapes that says, but I'm rubbish. I'm no good. I haven't got anything to offer. Re-record them. It's not true. God is for you. He's with you and he's on you. God the Father is rooting for you. Even now in heaven, we're being cheered on. As I've been preaching, I felt the angels cheering. Not to finish, but to say, keep going. (laughs) Somebody else did that. Uh, But there's nobody cheering more loudly than your own father in heaven. He thinks you're fantastic. He really loves you. 
Don't let condemnation stop you. If your heart condemns you, say to your heart, God is greater than my heart. God is greater than my heart. Thank you, Lord. All that you've done is sufficient even for me. God is greater than my heart. God is longing for you to return to him. If you've drifted, if you've gone off, if you've got yourself in a mess, come back. Come quickly. In fact, you don't even need to come. You just lift your head up and say, God, and he'll be there. That's how quickly, in a moment. Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat into the waves? It says he started to sink. He cried out, Jesus, save me. And it says, instantly, Jesus' hand was in his, and he lifted him up. Great picture of what it's like to come back to God when you fall. God can restore you. God has anointed us to serve him, to help others, and to empower us in our Christian life. Do you believe it? Do you believe these things? I want to encourage you to to have a killing fest of unbelief. Kill unbelief. Allow your faith to flourish. You don't need great and powerful faith. You don't need to be a Reinhard Bonnke or anybody like that. You just need a little grain of the smallest seed, and then you can say to that mountain, move out of the way, and it's got to go. Kill unbelief. That's what Jesus says. Let's renew our minds with truth, not only wiping the tapes clean, but re-recording them, replacing regret with hope for lies being overwritten with truth to start again and to start to live differently. These are powerful truths. God is for us. God is with us. God is on us. Let's pray, shall we? Shall we just stand... It may be that it would be helpful for you to have some prayer about some of these things, because I know these things touch things in our lives, because as you saw when I was trying to share it with you, it's touched some things in my life this week. Uh, God is for me. I, I can't get over that. It's a wonderful thing. But sometimes we need help to walk through that. Sometimes we need to repent of some of the things that we've believed about God. And I, I want to give you a moment to do that now, but I'm also very willing to pray with you. God is with us. You know, sometimes we can get very wooden towards God. We can deny his presence in our lives. We can be hurt. We can be offended. Why don't you put that right with God? God is on us. It's time to stop comparing yourself to other people. God has given you your own gifts, and God has gifted us as a company of people to do wonderful works for him. I don't know how to lead you through that, but those are all the things I feel, okay? So why don't you just have a moment to talk to God yourself, and then I'll pray for you. Tell you what, let's do it corporately. Would that help? Lord, if you just repeat this after me, if it's appropriate to you. Lord, I repent of having a bad attitude. And saying that you are not for me.
I want to thank you today, Lord, that you are completely for me. That you are my Father in heaven who loves me. Lord, would you remove anything contrary to that in my heart? Thank you. Lord, I'm sorry if I've become cynical about your presence. I renounce the lie that you are not with me. And right now, by faith, I take your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you are with me as well as for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are on us as a church. Thank you, Lord, that your presence and anointing is on us as individuals. Lord Jesus, would you increase your presence with us and help us to serve you with all the gifts that you've given us and empower us to live the Christian life. Amen. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd increase an incredible spirit of liberty amongst us. I pray you'd release joy amongst us. Lord Jesus, I pray you would release a spirit of encouragement amongst us. I pray, Lord, that we go out of here ten feet tall because we know that God is for us, he's with us, and he's on us. Thank you that we've been called and chosen and appointed to bear fruit, much fruit that will last. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, the work of your Spirit in our lives. Thank you for Jesus and for what you have done. Amen.